Necromancy over Susrin from a tower of sable stone. Malagrace, who lay dead for years while men believed him living, who, lying thus, still uttered potent spells and dire oracles with decaying lips. But Avictus lusted not for temporal power in the manner of Malagrace, and having learned all that the elder sorcerer could teach him, withdrew from the cities of Poseidonus to seek another and vaster dominion. And I, the youth far patron, in the latter years of Avictus, was permitted to join him in this solitude. And since then, I have shared his austerities and vigils and evocations. And now, likewise, I must share the weird doom that has come in answer to his summoning. Not without terror, since man is but mortal, did I, the neophyte, behold at first the abhorrent and tremendous faces of them that obeyed Ovictus, the genii of the sea and earth, of the stars and the heavens, who passed to and fro in his marmorian halls. I shuddered at the black writhing of submundane things from the many-volumed smoke of the braziers. I cried in horror at the gray foulnesses, colossal, without form that crowded malignly about the drawn circle of seven colors, threatening unspeakable trespass on us that stood at the center. Not without revulsion did I drink wine that was poured by cadavers, and eat bread that was purveyed by phantoms. But use and custom dulled the strangeness, destroyed the fear, and in time I believed implicitly that Avictus was the lord of all incantations and exorcisms, with infallible power to dismiss the beings he evoked. Well, had it had been for Avictus, and for me, if the master had contented himself with the lore preserved from Atlantis and Thule, or brought over from Mu and Mayapan, surely this would have been enough for in the ivory-sheeted books of Thule there were blood-writ runes that would call the demons of the fifth and seventh planets if spoken aloud at the hour of their ascent, and the sorcerers of Mu had left record of a process whereby the doors of far future time could be unlocked. And our fathers, the Atlanteans, had known the road between the atoms and the path into far stars, and had held speech with the spirits of the sun, but Ovitus thirsted for a darker knowledge, a deeper empery, and into his hands, in the third year of my novitiate, there came the mirror-bright tablet of the lost serpent people. Strange and apparently fortuitous was our finding of the tablet. At certain hours, when the tide had fallen from the steep rocks, we were wont to descend by cavern-hidden stairs to a cliff-walled crescent beach behind the promontory on which stood the house of Avictus. There, on the dun, wet sands, beyond the foamy tongues of the surf, would lie the worn and curious driftage of alien shores, and trove that hurricanes had cast up from unsounded deeps. And there we had found the purple and sanguine volutes of great shells, and rude lumps of ambergris, and white flowers of perpetually blooming coral, and once the barbaric idol of green brass, which had been the figurehead of a galley from far hyperboreal isles. There had been a great storm, 
such as must have riven the sea to its nethermost profound. But the tempest had gone by with morning, and the heavens were cloudless on that fatal day when we found the tablet. And the demon winds were hushed among the high crags and chasms, and the sea lisped with a low whisper, like the rustle of gowns of Samai trailed by fleeing maidens on the sand. And just beyond the ebbing wave, in a tangle of russet seaweed, we beheld a thing that glittered with blinding sun-like brilliance. And running forward, I plucked it from the rack before the waves return, and bore it to Avictus. The tablet was wrought with some nameless metal, like never-rusting iron, but heavier. It had the form of a triangle, which was broader at the widest than a man's heart. On one side it was wholly blank, and Avictus and I in turn beheld our features.